0: hi good morning how's everybody all right I'll get you going it's all right um, hey I, I just want to start off by saying that it has been a lot of fun to be with you for the last three weeks row. we don't often get to take a few weeks in a row so it's been fun to be able to share and so I also have the opportunity to review a little bit and I just want us to think about and, and even report back to you a couple of weeks ago when we were talking at the end of Romans chapter 15, Paul is talking about going out into the places that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and then at the end of that passage, he's saying, would you strive with me in prayer? And we had the opportunity to fill out postcards. I just wanna let you know that many of you have done that and we've had postcards that go to a lot of our missionaries and we're actually hearing back from them and they're just talking about how blessed they are and thankful for Calvary Church that they're being prayed for. So good job on that. I also wanna say from last week, Um, We talked about one word. You remember the word? Let me hear it. Particularized. Good. Not only did I get like 15 to 20 kisses from a lot of you guys. Thank you very much for that. We talked about greet one another in a holy kiss. Thank you. Um, But I also was particularized. Um, I got some postcards from some of you. So thank you for that. But one family took it above and beyond and really particularized us. When we woke up Monday morning of this last week, we went out into the front yard and uh this is the scene that we saw and it says if you can't read it in toilet paper we love you matt so thank you for that special piece of particularization uh i want to specifically thank dirk and julie vanderwall and their entire family yes um so i know the rest of the family's here so just let them know that i'll be particularizing them soon as well Hey, uh, so this morning. Uh, I want to talk about deception. We're going to talk about living free from deception. We live in a world that's full of deception. Uh, When I was uh, working with our fifth and sixth grade ministry years ago, we used to play a game. We used to clear out C200, and the game was called Minefield. And uh, what we would do is we'd have a kid start on one side of the room, and we'd say, you have to get from this side of the room to the other side of the room, and we're going to put some obstacles in front of you. And so we'd put like a chair, we'd put some balls, we'd take a table and stand it upright, and uh, we'd have them go, but there was a couple of other things that we added to the mix. One of those was a rat trap. And so I have a rat trap here, and we put a few of these on the ground. And then we would also say, we're going to need you to take your shoes off and walk through. And if that wasn't hard enough, we want you to go through blindfolded and uh, there'll be somebody on the other side of the room who will be guiding you saying, here, take a step forward. Now move to the right. And luckily we never lost any toes, um, but there were some close calls that we had to run in and pick them up and move them. But uh, I want us to think about this. This is going to be a picture for us today because in deception, there are traps that are laid and If we are going to be deceived, then the assumption is that there is a deceiver. And I want to talk about that today in in two different realms. One is people who deceive, and then there is an ultimate deceiver in our enemy, and we call him Satan. So if you would join me, we're going to look in Romans chapter 16, and we're going to look at four verses, verses 17 to 20. And this is actually like a a pastor's dream. Instead of having like 50 verses, uh, it's nice to have just a couple of them. So we're going to look through... A couple of these and, and talk about what are the traps that are being laid. And Paul takes particular concern in this and, and this is what he says. As he's riding through and he's talking, he just listed like last week we went through all of these names, but he, he says, Before I part, I, I just I gotta tell you something. And so in verse seventeen, this is what he says. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. That are contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. He says, I urge you. That word urge is a paraclete. It's, it's a paraclete. Someone who's coming alongside and he says, keep your eye on. It's, it's this idea of looking through a scope and kind of looking down and seeing what is it that we, we have to focus our attention on. And what Paul is calling particular attention to is those who cause dissensions or division basically and Hindrances, and, and he says we need to avoid them. If you look up the real words, it means to steer clear. When you see those things, avoid them and stay away from those who deceive. Now, as you look through some of these things, it's, it's interesting. And, and what comes up for me is, is a couple things. Number one is that deceivers divide and therefore we are supposed to divide from deceivers. It almost feels a little bit contradictory because we see... Two crowds that are showing up in here. We have a purity crowd, doctrinal purity. We need to have the truth and we have to protect it. And then we have the unity crowd, which emphasizes relationships. And we have to be getting along. And so sometimes on either end of the spectrum, if you are the unity folks, then there is maybe less attention paid to with some of the truth. And then if you are truth, then sometimes that comes to the sacrifice of relationships and and so we know people who are maybe on the ends of that spectrum and maybe you're even thinking like okay I think I might be a little bit more here or here maybe you find yourselves a little bit more in the middle but Paul is saying something that we have to pay attention to and and it seems contradictory because at its core this passage is a doctrinal purity passage he says when you see people who are dividing and they are a hindrance he says there are people who are coming in. They're trying to get their way in and trying to divide. We we want to be getting people together. Uh, but but this word hindrance. If I could go back to the the rat trap, that word hindrance is interesting to me because the, the Greek word is scandalon, and it, it comes from this idea of it's 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 where we get the word scandal, and it means to jump up or to snap shut. And the scandalon is actually this piece right here on the trap. This is called the scandal. It's, it's actually used 15 times. Uh, as it's, it's metaphorically speaking in the New Testament. But this is the place where you would put the cheese, the bait, right, on, on the trap. And then you, you set this thing. And you know what this thing is? It's called the kill bar. So you, you put the bait down on the scandal on, and then you, you pull it back. We actually had a guy first hour try to help me, and he's bleeding right now. But he's okay. He'll be fine. But that's the idea is, is that the bait is placed on there and there's a trap that is laid. It, it's, it's those people who are, are putting the bait out there and they're, they're trying to divide. They're trying to pull people away from what? Paul says the the doctrine, the teaching that you have learned. There's an apostolic teaching. There's this body of theology. Paul has spent a long time through the book of Romans talking about it. And he actually commends, and we'll get to this later. But he's telling the church in Rome, you guys have been obedient to it. You guys have been faithful. You guys have been following. But be careful because there are traps that are out there and they're being laid. And when you see the dividers, divide from them. And it's bizarre because he's going for, we have doctrinal purity. We have to keep this. And he he seems to be saying that really, it doesn't matter. The, The disunity caused by not living together in the truth is worse than the disunity of dividing from those who are not speaking the truth. Does that make sense? He's saying we have to be watchful. That there are those who want to divide. Uh, There's a author and pastor His name is John Ortberg He is currently the senior pastor Of Menlo Park Presbyterian Church And if you followed this story In the last year and a half It's been in Christianity Today And talked about But John Orberg and the leadership of this church felt like their denomination with uh, what's called the PCUSA, USA, it's the Presbyterian Church, were starting to go in some directions that were contrary to the doctrine that they were taught and they were finding themselves further and further apart from what they were believing. And so they had to make a decision as a church, are we going to stay unified with these folks even though we don't believe or do we actually divide ourselves and we go in this direction which is what we believe to be doctrinal purity. And so they prayed about it and they made a congregational vote and overwhelmingly the congregation decided that we need to stay the course of doctrinal purity, therefore we need to come and we need to divide. Well, division is painful. It's painful on a relational level, but even financially they found out that that division, for them to separate and to come away from the Presbyterian denomination at the time was going to cost almost nine million dollars. But they said, you know what? It's painful and it's hard, but this is the direction that we have to go in. So the leadership, the pastors, the elders of the church, they said, we will sell our houses and we will take the money from our houses and we will put that towards there. And we have some other money and we're going to put it towards there. And, and John Orberg talks about his own house and, and he said, my wife, Nancy, loves our house so much. We've lived in this house for the last 10 years. And she said, this is the house that I want to die in. And when I die, I want to be buried in the backyard. And John said that when he approached her and talked to her about, we're, we're thinking about selling our homes to cover the $9 million. We don't want to go into debt for this. She said, I don't even have to pray about it. No problem, let's do it. There's a commitment to the truth that exists in that body of believers. And I believe that as Paul is writing this, that he is saying the same thing. And there's times when that division, it feels like it's hurtful. But I want to also bring about some warning for us because this is not license for a witch hunt. This is not freedom to start going after everybody. And so I have a couple of clarifications. There's an outline in your bulletin. And if you look in the back, I kind of left this for life group discussion because there, there are... there's some good conversation I think that can happen out of this but there's a couple of clarifications but one of them I want to just point out here is that it is possible to go overboard with this it is possible to say we believe in doctrinal unity and truth and so because of that we're just going to go crazy and go after everybody or that there's a time and a place and a season and a way to go about this and so it is possible to go overboard. You can become so obsessed with doctrinal error that you have no rejoicing in doctrinal truth. And if you get the weekly email that we send out, and if you don't, you can fill out the card in front of you and say, add me to the weekly email. But I talked about dog, bomb-sniffing dogs. (laughs) That'd be kind of funny, dog-sniffing bombs. But bomb-sniffing dogs, drug-sniffing dogs, it's It's something that's kind of become this amazing, like weird to say technology, but it's a resource that we have today in our world. But we do not want to become the bomb-sniffing dogs of doctrine and theology in our world. Because what happens is if you are a bomb-sniffing dog, you spend your workday trying to find the bombs, but then you go home and you continue to do it. The bomb-sniffing dogs never stop. And there is something for us that if we are just hell-bent on trying to find those who disagree with us, then we never rest. It's not good for us as a people. It's not good for us as a church. And if you don't have the ability to just stop and say, I'm not going to go after every possible single little thing, because you can work your way into this like, little corner theologically and say, this is it. And we have so many divisions already. I think there's like 40,000 plus denominations in the world today. But we don't want to be those kind of people. It, it, it's almost a sign that of, of our own ill health because we can't stop going after that. And so there are those of you, and I've had times in my life where I treasure and go after that doctrinal truth so much that I cause division and I, I can go after it. But there's something here that that Paul is saying. He's not saying that you need to have a witch hunt. He's not saying excommunicate them. He's not saying hang them. What does he say? Avoid. Stay away from them. I, I love this this passage in Luke 9 where Jesus is walking with his disciples and he's, he's on his way down to Jerusalem and in Luke 9, uh, he's, he's going down to Jerusalem but he sends messengers on ahead of him and they went and they entered a village of the Samaritans and they wanted to make arrangements for him but... The messengers that were sent ahead to like kind of welcome Jesus, hey, Jesus is coming into your town. They said, no, 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 we don't want him. They didn't receive because he's going towards Jerusalem. It says, when his disciples, James and John saw this, they had something to say about it. James and John were known as the sons of thunder. Here's case in point. Lord, do you want us to command fire? Yeah, let's get fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Just give me the word, Jesus. I'm on it, right? <laughs> they're not accepting you. They're not receiving you. And you think like Jesus is all, yeah, they're not receiving me. Like, down with them. Jesus says this. He turned. He rebuked them. He gave strong words to them. And he said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And I love this little add-on, it says, and they went on to another village. And I know that you've had that knock on your door at times and you, you, it's somebody from some other religion with some magazine and they have some Bible verse and they say, hey, we just want to talk to you about Jesus. And it sounds good at first. And then you're just ready, right? Like I've had my moments and times in my life where I've been prepared and like, just bring them on. But there's a danger in even just getting too wrapped up in this. And what, what I believe Paul is saying is just, just avoid it. Just avoid it. There are those who divide. Now, how do you know if somebody's coming to divide or not? Well, he gives a description. Look at the next verse. He says, For such men are slaves. The deceivers, they're slaves. But what are they slaves of? Not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, their bellies. It's, it's all about them Their their appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Unsuspecting basically means easily duped. And so, deceivers, their motivation is is for themselves. And sometimes that's money, sex, and power, and sometimes it's just the glory of being ahead. But their motivation is not out of a, a desire to please and honor God it's, it's to fulfill their own dreams and their own desires for their own life but their manner is what you have to watch out for because you think they're deceivers and they're going to be standing out like have you heard of Westboro Baptist Church every time that there's a soldier they, they're, they're offensive and they, they call themselves Christians and unfortunately whew, if they were here we would be dividing from them um, even as Robin Williams passed away this week they, they posted a picture that, that said um queer, I don't know, something, he, they were fags, something like that. He, they were saying, they were labeling him and saying that this is Robin Williams and they're showing up at vigils and they're going to show up to his funeral and they want to make sure that they know that he is not one of us because he played Mrs. Doubtfire and Crossdress one time, right? Is that what we are known for? And so sometimes you look at the deceivers and you think, well, that's what they look like. They're holding picketing signs and they're having really obvious, like really horrible language and their theology is really obviously off. But it says they're smooth and flattering speech. Smooth just means pleasant. They're, they're kind of fun and nice to be around, but that word flattery is blessing. It's, you, you could actually be blessed by them. I, I don't want to name names, but you can think of the people, you've seen them, and you know that there are people who are, with their smooth and flattering speech, drawing men away from a true doctrine that Jesus is calling us to be following. There, these people have always always been around, and, and it's, a, it's, it's something that comes up often, but even as early as 4th century, there, there's writings. There's a guy named Arius. The description of him is that he was bright and energetic, an attractive fellow, the kind of citizen whom any Rotary Club would welcome, singing sea chanties in dockside pubs and teaching Bible stories to the Wednesday night faithful. This was an immensely popular man. His story reminds us that hearsay doesn't bludgeon us into belief. We are seduced. And even back in the 17th century, um, this man named Sausenus who died in 1604 he's described as a gentleman his morals were above reproach and he distinguished himself by his unfailing courtesy unfailing courtesy was remarkable in an age when even the great protestant leaders like lutheran and calvin luther and calvin would use vile street language when arguing with their opponents so You have to be careful, you have to watch out for deceivers. We have something today called the prosperity gospel. Uh, One of the books that we have in the bookstore, I just want to highlight if this is something that's interesting to you, where we kind of get along the lines of mainline denominations and this idea that Jesus just wants to bless you. And, and we kind of start veering from the truth. This is a good way to help you identify and to see even how that's played out in the last couple of centuries. So Randy has a few of these in the bookstore. You can check that out. But it's, it's, it's being able to look and to see what is it that they are about? What is it that they are trying to teach? And, and do we have to keep our, our, our heads up? And, and this is uh, uh, something that's come up all throughout scripture. In the Old Testament, they were called false prophets. And in Jesus' time, even Jesus said this, and this is on the back of your outline, but he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Later on in Mark, it says, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show, make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. So my encouragement to you is don't go after them and and say, look, I've caught you. This is a witch hunt. You're going down. The Christian police are here. The idea is, we need to avoid them. We need to walk away from that and we need to stick to the doctrine that Jesus is calling us to. In verse 19, he goes on and he says, the report of your obedience, you guys in Rome, has reached to all and therefore I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Um, There's a translation, it's called the Phillips translation, which I think they... He nails it. He says this I want you, I want to see you experts in good and not even beginners in evil. So Paul is encouraging them don't even be associated with those things. You have to be able to look and tell what is counterfeit and what is true and it's hard for us in our society today because in our western culture there there's almost like no such thing as truth absolute truth so you can say anything and I understand the, the inclination to look and say well they have part of the truth can't we just all get along that would be a good response but it's not what Paul is telling us he says if there is division and if they are steering you this way that you have to divide from them you have to be able to tell the counterfeits apart. Um, I, I have a $100 here, and if you've ever looked at them, we've kind of upped our technology, but uh, there was, in the last couple of weeks, a, a ring uh, made up of Israelis and Americans that have been producing counterfeit $100 bills for the last 15 years. Since 1999, they have passed through $77 million dollars. And the problem was that the counterfeit was so good and it was so close to the original that when it was getting passed to the people and they're putting it under the machine or they're doing the little marker, it passed all of the tests, but they weren't able to really find out what was going on until it got to the feds. And so one thing that just gives me some assurance is, you know what, I I will look and when I see it, I'm going to do something about it. But I'm also going to just trust that when the counterfeits come back around and they head up, that they go and stand before Jesus, that he's going to be the one that takes care of it. And so that is my, my push for us, is that we are to, to look at this and to be aware, to keep a watchful eye so that we're not led astray, so that we're not easily duped. But we have to be careful and we have to watch. So those are deceivers that we see here on earth and those are the traps that are laid Even as you look at the traps, you know, if you want to catch a a rat, I actually, when I was at Home Depot yesterday grabbing this, you look at the box of the rat poison and it actually, you know how much rat poison, actual poison is in the rat poison box? 0.01%. 99.9% of rat poison is real food. It's the real deal. It's fine. But it's that 0.01% that kills the rat and so it's, it's not even so much that you just put a little bit of the bait right here on the scandalon. it's that you cover it up. If you really wanna catch a rat, this is what works. You take this this and you, you just cover it entirely with the rat poison, with the food and he'll just eat his way until he finally gets to that scandalon, which will jump up and then it'll grab him. So the truth is there and because you see a little bit of truth, you think that it might be okay. But you got to be careful. And Paul is urging us to watch out and be careful. So that's what the deceivers look like. But I want us to see that if we are watchful and if we are paying attention, then God is the one that gives us victory over the ultimate deceiver. And so I want us to think about this because we've had 16 chapters now in the book of Romans. 433 verses. And there's one verse about Satan. Just One not because he's not important, but Paul makes mention of him here in this final verse. In verse 20, it says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This is Fulfillment, talking about a prophecy way back in Genesis 3 when when Satan, the deceiver, is a serpent and he is deceiving Adam and Eve. There's this prophecy that's given and it says you're going to bruise his heel but he is going to crush your head. Would you rather have a bruised heel or a crushed head? A bruised heel. But Paul says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. The word here that you need to remember for Satan is doom. The end of Satan, he is doomed. And so there actually are three stages that this takes place in. And I want you to see the first one. Satan has been decisively defeated at the cross through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 2, it says, Having canceled, because Jesus had canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he'd taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. The biggest surprise for Satan was not that he actually pulled it off and he defeated Jesus by his death on the cross but the surprise for Satan was that Jesus came back from death he overcame it's it's like this we talked about this this week in our meetings and Tim Nellis said you know that moment when you're at a pool and one of your friends thinks it's going to be really funny to push you in and there's that little struggle that takes place and as that fight is occurring And you're being pushed into the pool. You're like, I'm I'm, like checking my pockets to make sure the phone and the wallet, everything's out, right? But then there's the point where like, you just know you're going in. That is the point where you just say, if I'm going in, you're going in with me, right? And you're going to take everybody in with you as you are going in. Satan has been defeated at the cross, but he's trying to take us all with him. He can't condemn you, but he can rage against you. Your condemnation has been taken care of because of the work that Jesus did on the cross to forgive you of your sin. So he has been decisively defeated, but he is also being defeated now. And he is defeated by Christ through Christians who believe and put on the armor of Christ. In Ephesians 6, it says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers Against the world forces of darkness. Does that ring true for what you see in our world today? Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. When we do that, when we speak the name of Christ, when we put on the, bar, the, the armor of Christ, and we wear that against the schemes and against the traps of the evil one, then we are defeating him today. You look at what's going on in the world today, and I can't help it, I'm a little bit of a news junkie, and I'm looking at our brothers and sisters, Christians in Iraq and in Syria and the incredible persecution that is taking place in their lives today. And and you look at that and you think we are losing. It looks like Satan is winning And, and how are we supposed to get out of this? What is going on? I want you to understand that God will have his victory. He has had his victory. He is doing this as, as there are believers that are standing up for their faith. I want you just to, if, if you've been like uh, hidden in a cave for the last couple of months and have not seen this, I, I want you to see a clip of what is going on right now in this world for Christians. Look at this. Tens of thousands of Christians fled villages like Karakush and Bartilla, just about 25 miles away. Most have come here to Urbeil with nothing more than the clothes on their back. They have crossed a mountain on foot in the desert heat, forced to flee their homes, driven by their fear of ISIS. This woman says militants beheaded several men in her village and mounted their heads on the hoods of cars. ISIS is well-armed, but sheer terror may be their most powerful weapon. Crucifixions. Men tied together and marched to their deaths, shot in the head. Others buried alive, according to one Iraqi minister. Atrocities documented by the militants themselves and shared with the world on social media, sending a chilling message. We take no prisoners. They take everything from the house, from the store, everything. And they take like a machine, everything because they are Christian. Just the name Christian, they hit Christian especially. We don't know why. It was leave or die. They say if anyone don't become like Muslim, we are gonna kill it. Kill it. each one from baby and the woman, one old man. We don't have anything here. They bombed the churches and already took our houses. We have nothing here, no money, no ID, no travel documents. These desperate civilians came racing towards the helicopter, uh, throwing their children on board the aircraft. Uh, the crew was just trying to pull up as many people as possible, uh, a, a little baby, a red-headed baby that ended up in my hands. It was chaotic, uh, it, it was crazy, uh, but we were able to then lift off with about 20 civilians. What's happening now to the Christians, to the Yazidis, to the minorities and like in the last couple of days to the, mostly to the Christians is, is a genocide. What's happening is what happened 200 years ago with the Jews. We brought nothing, not even clothes, just horrors, this man says as he drives off. That's the world that we live in today. That is our world. and. As I watch it, I think, what's going on? God, where are you in the midst of this? There is a genocide happening among Christians in the Middle East. And there seems to be an uproar going on in the world that it feels at times that evil has the upper hand. There's a point where Satan will finally be defeated forever. He'll be thrown into the lake of fire, never to deceive or torment Again. And I, I think about Paul's words. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. If you think about that that word, soon, it's the same word like in Revelation where it says, Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. It's, it's this idea of imminent. I, I, what was Paul thinking when he was writing that? I, the psalmist is even in Psalm 74, it says, how long is the foe to scoff, O oh God? How long will the enemy revile your name? Forever? But Paul writes, the God of peace will soon crush Satan. So w- what's that conversation like when Paul is writing that and we believe that Scripture is inspired by God so he's listening to the Spirit of God and he says, the God of peace will... Su- am I supposed to write that down, God? Soon? Uh, look at everything that's going on. There, I, I promise you that as Paul's writing that, he did not think that we here in 2014 would still be waiting for God to make all things right, for him to show up on the scene and put evil to rest once and for all. But he wrote that. And, and I, I think when you look at the timing of God and where God is at and what God is thinking, it, it leads me to this passage. It's Second Peter 3. And it says this. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? He said he's coming. Where? where? In the last days. He said he's coming. He's not here yet. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. But do not let this one fact escape your notice beloved that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day the Lord is not slow about his promises some count slowness but is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance God has a plan and we can't change sides and change teams because it looks like our enemy has the upper Hand. I want you to understand that God has already won the victory and there's going to come a point when Satan will be put away forever and ever and the victory will be ours. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And when God has that victory because we are in him, then we have that victory with him. And that's why Paul says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet underneath our feet if we are in him and so you look at this passage and it's, it's a promise to saints who are beleaguered and giving up and they're wondering is God going to allow Satan to have the upper hand and I think about this passage in John chapter 16 Jesus gives some hope he says I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace in me only in me you will have peace um, I don't know how much anxiety I, I feel a measure of anxiety in my own life just because of the condition of the world but Jesus says in me you will have peace and then he says in this world you will have trouble or tribulation that's not like hey my car air conditioning is not working I have trouble when Jesus is writing and saying this to his disciples he has all of history in mind and he knows trouble trouble You look at how the disciples went out of this world and it was trouble. It was not easy. It wasn't like, man, I'm really having trouble finding a place to live. It was trouble. But he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. If you are in Christ, those who are in Christ, there are no losers. And there are no winners if you're following the deceiver. So my urging and my heart for you is that you would keep a watchful eye. That you would keep to the teaching that you have heard and don't depart from it even if it looks smooth and it feels like a blessing that our God wants to speak so much more. I want to invite the worship team up because I think the best thing for us to do this morning is to praise the God who has overcome our enemy. I looked at the songs that we're doing here and it's, it's perfect Our response today is worship Our response right now is to Go before our great God and our great King And to pour out our hearts before Him Because He is the one that has the victory And if, it, if it's His victory All authority has been given to Him Then we share in that It is our victory too So let's worship that God Would you pray with me? Lord hear us maybe we have fallen in the category of being easily duped before maybe we have gone after those who've deceived and we've felt the pain of that God give us that desire for a truth based unity by keeping with truth based doctrine purity help us to love one another. You don't call us to excommunicate or throw out our enemies, but we are called to love them. And so give us wisdom as we live out this life and we encounter those who deceive here on this earth. But God, we also, we claim your victory in our lives because you are the God who has defeated our enemy. And you are defeating our enemy today and you will ultimately defeat our enemy so, God, we lift up your name, the name above all names, the only one who could do it. Without you, we are helpless and we've got nothing. May we live these things out and not take the bait that will only jump up and try to trap us. May we put our trust in you today. In Jesus' name, amen.